got a question for you this morning. Can Christianity and wokeness coexist? You know, you see those little bumper stickers and it's got all the different religious symbols and it said all these different religions. It says coexist. That's the answer to everything. Well, the question I have for you is can Christianity and wokeness coexist? And uh, I'm going to start off with something very concrete before we get into something spiritual. Okay? So, with a concrete thing, I'm going to ask you something that's going to shock a few of you. But I'm going to ask you, can marriage and pornography coexist? And um, on the surface, you'll say, well, I know in Matthew chapter 5, it says, if I do something with my eyes, even though I haven't done it with my body, I'm still guilty of the sin. So there's a sin there, and that's wrong. Well, that's a very superficial answer to that question. Can marriage and pornography coexist? Because it goes much deeper at the core of a problem that just destroys the structure of marriage. And I want to briefly go through that. That is not my topic today. But in an introductory way, I want to show that wokeness and Christianity cannot coexist in a similar vein. We can say, well, that's your definition of sin. That's my definition of sin. Let me live how I live. But it goes much deeper. And at the core, it tears apart the fabric of what a society is. So let me go through the concrete example. And I want to talk about our bodies. Our bodies are created by God, and they're incredible. And we've got some of the greatest minds that have been exploring and researching our bodies, and there's those things about our bodies they still don't understand. But there's one thing our body does. It creates this chemical called dopamine. Okay? Dopamine is a drug that's produced by your body. You can't smoke it. You can't snort it. You can't inject it. You can't pop it with a pill. It's something your your body manufactures with certain behaviors. For instance, if I were a farmer like in the Bible and I went out and plowed my back 40 and put the seed in and covered the seed up and went to bed that night and laid down and said, whoa, what a good job. A drug would be released in me. It's a dopamine. It's for success. That same success could come in a number of ways. It could, if I built a piece of furniture. Now, I'm speaking from a man's point of view, okay? Or, or if I um, uh, accomplished anything, I, you know, I, 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 I got a promotion at work or, you know, something like that. And it was just, I've been working for this and it's, it's a successful thing. Dopamine is also released through relationships, you know, in terms of a, a relationship between Deborah and I, when I first met her and I got to sit next to her and hold her hand for that first, oh, the dopamine is being real. That's exciting. But you know what? Relationships take work. Amen? And then it even spreads to the intimate relationship. Do- dopamine is released there. I know somebody, Brother Dolph, where are you going this morning? Just, just, just stay with me for a little while, okay? Well, the problem is, is there are certain behaviors that counterfeit the behaviors that create the dopamine. I'll give you one. Video games, right? You can take a 13-year-old boy, and he can go boom, 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 boom on a thing, and he can go, oh, 
I've graduated from level eight to level nine in this video game. And you know what? Dopamine is being released. Or pornography. They can watch pornography and dopamine is being released. The problem is the dopamine that's done through success takes time and work. The dopamine that goes through relationships takes time and work. But the dopamine on the computer, there's no time, there's no work, it's instantaneous, and it's actually at a higher level. So no wonder why 13-year-olds don't want to cut the grass and get a charge out of doing a good job when in five minutes they can kill 100 warriors. I'm not leaving you girls out. You know, you can get 100 likes on a selfie. Okay? I'm not being silly, I know. But, but what we do is we have these counterfeit behaviors that create these things. Now, the thing is, those behaviors, those successes are good. They're good, profitable long-term. They're profitable for you. They're profitable for society. They're profitable for people close to you. And those manufacturers, what, they don't give anybody anything. It's just instantaneous. So I go back to my original question. Can marriage and pornography coexist? And I say, absolutely not. Because what happens is the energy that you want, you should be putting into your spouse is short-circuited. You go around it because it doesn't take any work. It's instantaneous and it's at a higher level. So you skip the work that you should be putting into your relationship and you're left with an empty shell of a relationship and you get the dopamine fix and the addiction right there. And you don't know how to relate. You don't know how to work through a problem. You don't know how to get closer. You don't know how to, and you know, you know all the rat, okay? Okay, that was, now, I know I'm looking at some of you grandparents. And if you don't believe me, we got lunch on the grounds, okay? During lunch on the grounds, you sit next to someone that's under 30. And you ask them if it's so. Or is the preacher just blowing smoke? Okay, do that today. You find that's the world our kids are living in. And that's the world your kids are parenting your grandchildren. Okay, so, so this is real stuff. All right, so we're taking the physical illustration aside. And I'm now going to the place where I'm going to ask you the question, can Christianity and wokeness coexist? And here's my answer. Absolutely not. Okay? Yeah, I just want you to know I'm not going to be straddling any fences today. But I'm telling you, they're not going to coexist for a very shallow definition of this is sin, you shouldn't do sin, and that's it. It's way deeper than that. It's something at the core of our existence in our relationship with Christ. So that's why it cannot. Now, again, I'm going to preface this. I'm not going to say if someone has these mentalities, it doesn't mean we're obnoxious or we're rude. We're still kind and we're patient, but we're firm. It's like what Jesus said to that woman caught in adultery. He said, I, find no, I do not condemn thee, but go and sin no more. It took both. He said, showed the compassion, but also showed the firmness. This lifestyle is going to kill you. And that's an act of love. Okay?
All right, so let's go. And I want to start off with the beginning of Christianity. Okay, for several centuries, we went along and we had this religion, and it was Judaism. It was a very hard religion because no one could live up to all the rules. And all of a sudden, there's a transition going from the Old Testament synagogue worship to the New Testament worship through Jesus Christ. And what happened was, is John the Baptist was the first New Testament preacher, and what his message was is in Matthew 3, verse 2, he said, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Along comes Jesus in Matthew 14, 4, chapter 4, verse 17, and he says, Repent, for the kingdom is at hand. And then he gets his disciples, and he sends them out two by two, and guesses what he, they preach. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. What is repent? That's one of those fire and brimstone things, isn't it? That's what those Bible pounders preach. No, repent simply means stop your sinful behavior and turn and walk into an obedient behavior. Yeah, the question is, is can Christianity and wokeness coexist? And how can you have a message of repent if you say there is no sin? And the way I'm walking is okay. Okay? No, it goes much deeper than that. If, if, if all we had was the Old Testament and we never had the gospel or what Jesus came down to do, we could stop right there and we can argue about what's a sin and what's not a sin. But we're going further than that because we want to talk about Jesus Christ and what he did and what he accomplished. So we go along and we go to the place where all of a sudden the New Testament church has been empowered. This is at Pentecost. So there, now there's a New Testament church. What we read before, what Jesus and John the Baptist and his disciples did before Pentecost, that was kind of a, of a warming up period. That was an introduction into the New Testament church. But now Pentecost comes and Jesus is risen from the dead and he's in heaven. And now there's a New Testament church and it's empowered and it's filled with the Holy Ghost. And here we are. And guess what they preach? Repent. Right after Pentecost in Acts 2.38, Peter says, Repent and be baptized to every one of you in the name of Jesus. Peter, you want me to turn? What do you mean to turn from? Turn from sin. Acts chapter 3, John was out preaching with Peter, and he said, Repent and be converted that your sins may be blotted out. But I'm not sinning. Well, who gets to decide? God or you? We'll talk about that in a second. And then Acts 17.30, Paul comes out, and he was speaking, and he said, God winked at ignorance, but now commandeth all men to repent. So this message of repenting seems pretty important in the Christian faith, doesn't it? Can Christianity and wokeness coexist? Okay, one more. Let's go to the church era. So now we've skipped forward, and the apostles basically have come and gone. At this time, I think there's one apostle left, the apostle John. In Revelations 2.18, he's speaking to the church at Pergamos, and he says, Repent, else I will come unto thee quickly and fight against thee. In Sardis, Revelations 3.3, he says, Remember how thou hast received and heard, and hold fast and repent, turn from sin. In Revelations 3.19, in Laodicea, As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten, and be zealous and repent. In other words, it looks like this repentance stuff is pretty important in the New Testament church. Hmm. All right. So, what does repentance look like? 
What does it look like? Well, I told you, the word, it means turn, turn. Let me read you. Old Testament, Ezekiel 18.30. Here's a pretty good definition. Repent, turn from all your transgressions, so iniquity shall not be your ruin. And then Acts 26.20, they should repent and turn to God and do works meet for repentance. In other words, not only you turn from your sin, you do the obedient behavior. Not only do I stop lying, I tell the truth. So, how does this work? How does this work? Let's keep on going. Okay. Well, what do we turn from? Old Testament, Ezekiel 14, 6, pretty good definition. Repent and turn from your idols and turn away from all your abominations. Luke 13, 3, I tell you, nay, but except you repent, ye shall likewise repent, perish. No, let's go back to the example we just quoted in John 8. Remember the woman that was caught in adultery? that was dragged up before Jesus and they brought him and they said, okay, what, do you, what should we do with her? And he said, he that's without sin, throw the, cast the first stone. And then they all left because they realized, oh, we got sin too. And he says, neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. What was the perishing he was talking about? The life of a prostitute is gonna kill you. Whether it be through a disease whether it be through abuse, whether it be through multiple men, there's a hundred ways it can kill you. Stop that behavior and stop it yesterday. That's what Jesus was saying. And you know what? That's an act of love. If I've got a little child and he's playing in the street when cars are zipping by, I'm going to take measures to make sure he stops playing in the street. Might even get him a warm bottom. Why? Because I love him. Better a warm bottom than a tire tread across his belly. Amen? That's what we're doing. Okay. The attitude. New Old Testament, New Testament. Job 42.6, Wherefore I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. I feel terrible about my sin. Wokeness says, that's not a sin. Matter of fact, I'm proud of my sin. I want to force my sin upon you. And if you correct me, I'm going to come down hard on you. Okay? Revelations 2.5, remember from whence thou art fallen, repent and do the first works. And follow your first love. So that's a little bit of the attitude. I'll, I'll wrap these thoughts up here in a second. I'm just defining some fundamentals for us. How and when. Old Testament, New Testament, 1 Kings 8.47, repent, make supplications saying we have sinned and we have done perversely. Admit it. Revelations 2.21, I gave her space to repent of her fornication and she repented not. So when Jesus asks us to repent, he does it, he wants some humbleness, he gives us some time, he's long-suffering. <clears throat> he let us time to realize what we're doing and work through it. He's, he's long-suffering that way, he's patient. He's not forever suffering, but he's long-suffering. And he says, stop, stop, turn from that behavior. Okay? If the church's fundamental first message was God, the creator of the universe, has created a set of law for us to follow that are in our best interest, we ought to follow them. Think about it. Let's go back to the dopamine. God created dopamine for one purpose. It's a feel-good medicine. And if you use feel good for a successful endeavor, 
If you use it for a successful relationship, that's a positive reinforcement, that's good for you, that's profitable for you, and it's for your long-term good. But if you use these shortcut methods, you are circumventing everything that's good for you and you're going to have an empty life. Let me give you another example. Now, this is really far-fetched, okay? Let's pretend I was wealthy and I had this pile of money and I decided to give an endowment to all of my children. I don't know, pick a number. How much? $50,000, $100,000? Okay, $50,000, okay? And I give the $50,000 to each of my five children. One, two, three, four, five. And here's this $50,000. What this is intended for, I give it to them at 18. You can use this for your education. You can use this to start a business. You can use this to buy your first home. And they go and take the money and they do what the youngest son and the prodigal offends it all on wine and women. Right? Now, there was a gift for my children and it was tended for a good purpose because that purpose that I intended for was for their long-term good and profitability. But they took it and circumvented it and they used it for instant gratification. So in a very short order, they're wallowing in a pig pen, wrestling pigs for husks. Amen? That's what God's design is. He's created things. He's given us. And that when we're used in his design, they're for our long-term benefit. And when we ignore them, it's going to cause us destruction. That's what we're dealing with. Okay? All right. Let's go back to some of the wokeness that we're facing. That's being the full core press in our current society. Okay? <clears throat> About six years ago, an American clinician wrote about gender, and 60 years ago, it was considered foolish, foolishness. Everyone who read it said, that's ridiculous, the 60-some genders and all that stuff. So then some time went by, and his article was read by individuals who became professors and writers, and it was still considered foolishness. But those professors and writers started to teach children. They wrote movie scripts and television scripts. They wrote plays. They wrote books. They started influencing other. And all of a sudden, foolish became avant-garde. That's a fancy word for fashionable. It's what the cool people do. You don't do it, that's because you're not the cool people, right? So those people started getting influence, and they started writing curriculum. They started becoming teachers. They started writing journalists and television personalities and judges and politicians. And all of a sudden, avant-garde or fashionable became law and truth. That's the way it worked. Okay. Let's look at the old-fashioned way. Bible. Holy men, God, God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. This is God's word. We call it inspired. Inspired means breathe. God breathed these words. It's his word. Saints are warred against philosophy, vain deceit, worldly tradition, and rudiments. Saints are told to prove all things, hold fast that which is good. And then finally, if any preach anything other than the gospel, let him be accursed. So we are the word, the whole word, and nothing but the word. So help us God, right? Okay. So what happens is, Woke morality evolves. 
Christian morality does not. Woke morality is defined by the majority, or as Brandon would say, a loud minority. Christian morality is defined by one. Woke is morality is subjective. Christ's morality is absolute. Woke's end is confusion and destruction. Christ's end is peace in life. Okay, let's get to the bottom line. So far, everything I've preached to you would hold really nice for the Old Testament church. And there's some of the Old Testament laws that came through that applies to us. But now let's take it and move it to the New Testament. Okay? First question I have to ask you is, why did Jesus come to earth? He came to earth to save sinners. Well, what happens if there is no sin and there's no sinners? Then why did Jesus come to earth? He's wasting his time, wasn't he? Right? Is Christianity and wokeness, can they coexist? The answer is no. The whole reason Jesus Christ came to earth. See, in the Old Testament, we were sinned. We were told to obey the law. When we didn't, it was called sin. We needed to repent. We needed to atone it. But guess what? We couldn't atone it. So Jesus Christ comes down to the earth and he makes that atonement for us. And we rest in his finished work, not ours. And we're saying, there is no sin. We're being told, I'm not, we're not saying it, we're being told there is no sin. Don't you understand at the core of the fabric of what this church stands for, the gospel is the good news. Jesus came and died for your sins. There is no sin. How can that coexist? Do you understand how fundamentally they're different? Matthew one twenty one. Speaking of Mary, she shall bring forth a son and name him Jesus, and he shall save his people from their sins. 1 Timothy 1.15, Jesus came in the world to save sinners. <clears throat> and Paul says, I'm the biggest one. I'm the biggest one. And Paul, if you're the biggest one, I'm the second biggest one. Okay? What is sin? Definition of sin is simply not doing what God said. Deuteronomy 5.32, not doing as God commanded, turning aside. I don't care if you turn right or left, it's not... Still sin. First John 3, 4, Whosoever committeth sin transgresseth the law. Sin is transgression of the law. Okay? What sins did Jesus redeem? You know what he redeemed? He redeemed all of them. Everyone. All right? Titus 2, 4, Who gave himself for us, redeemed us from all iniquity, and to purify a peculiar people. Brother Dolph, you're calling me a peculiar people. Is that the worst thing you'll ever call, right? By Scripture. 1 John 1, 7, that the blood of Christ, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. From the little white lies to the big black dark ones, right? From the thoughts of stealing to the actual stealing. He paid for all of them. Whoops, I missed one. Okay. What sins did Jesus redeem? Well, he redeemed all of them. Sorry. What sins ought a people repent? Well, I like this. Here's two lists. I didn't put them all because they didn't fit. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 9 through 11, here's some of them. You know what he died for? He died for the sin of fornication. 
He died for the sin of adultery. He decided for the sin of idolatry. He died for the sin of effeminate behavior. That's when cross-dress. He died for that sin. Okay? But that's not a sin. But he died for it. He came to earth. He got on the cross. He shed his blood. He gave up the ghost for your sin of effeminism. But that's not a sin. Go tell Jesus. Amen? He paid for that. And you know what? He gets what he paid for. Abuse with all mankind. That's with men with men. He died for stealing. He died for coveting. He died for drunkenness. He died died for reviling. He died for extortion. Notice what it says right here. This is written to the church at Corinth. And he says, and such were some of you, but ye are washed. (coughs) You know what he's doing? He's talking to church members. And he's saying, church members, this used to be your behavior. Once someone told you, sin no more, and you did it. You stopped doing it. They repented. Okay? And because of this behavior, and because of what Jesus did, he says, ye are washed. Second reference, Colossians 3, 5 through 9. You know what the word mortify means? It mean, mort means death, right? It means kill. It means cut it off. Or as Marty Fife would say, that great theologian, nip it in the bud, right? Right? Mortified. Here's some behavior you got to kill. Fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence. Covetousness, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication, lying. Put off these things. Stop it. Stop it. But there's nothing wrong with these things, we're being told. Jesus died for these things. Do you understand? So, so when I ask you the question, can Christianity and wokeism coexist? And the answer is, it can't exist. Because the thought behind Christianity, the theology of Christianity is sin was atrocious in God's eyes and Jesus came down and died to pay that penalty and to purchase you from those sins. And because of that, that's why he came down. And if you say those are not sins, you're saying what Jesus did was a waste of time. Our worship and singing praises to him is a waste of time. And how can we embrace wokeism when Christianity is all about Christ's finished work? And the answer is we can't do it. Okay? Put off these things. Okay. Are Christianity and wokeness compatible? The answer is no, they're not. What happens to people who repent? Okay, this is the blessings. Acts 2 and verse 40 says, Testify, he said, save yourself from this untoward generation. Wait a second. Wokeness is trying to draw us into their generation. And by getting baptized and turning for sin, we're withdrawing from the generation. Sounds like you're being seclusive or secluded, right? right? And the answer is sometimes we are. In behavior. It doesn't mean we stop being kind to people. 
we start reaching out and showing them love and offering help, we still continue to do that. But as soon as they say, your behavior is wrong, stop and turn, we say, oh, that's it. That's it. I can live and let you live, but you won't live and let me live. Right? When you disagree with me, you're a hater. When I disagree with you, I'm not. We, 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 call, we, we, we call something for what it is. Amen? Here's one of my favorite verses, James 5, 19 and 20. This is talking about two men in the church, brother to brother. And if I see someone that's doing something wrong, and this is, this is the example I use a couple times. Let's suppose <clears throat> you know, I come to the church office and I study all day long. And as I'm studying all day long, I'm, I'm there and, and I travel my route home. And as I'm traveling my route home, I drive by a, a tavern, a bar. And I see the car of one of our members there. And I go, well, that's strange. And I go. And the next day I drive by and I go by the same tavern because it's just on my way home. And I see the car there again. Guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to park my car and I'm going to go inside. And I'll sit by and order a Diet Coke, grab some peanuts and say, what's going on, brother? Right? He says, oh, you don't know the proud troubles I'm facing. I said, well, tell me about it. I know this is all make-believe, right? How can I help? Do you realize if you continue to go here, you're going to, blow, you're going to ruin your marriage, you're going to ruin your finances, you're going to ruin your relationship with your kids? How can I help? You've got to stop this behavior. And he says, you're right. When I, get to, I says, no, from now on, when you get down, do not come to this tavern, come to my house. Come to my office at church. Do that. Okay, you know what I'm doing? I'm saving a brother from a multitude of sins. I'm saving him from death. Maybe it's physical death. The death of his marriage. The death of his home. I'm saving him. Is that love or is that hate? It's an act of love, isn't it? That's what we're doing. I'm trying to get him to repent. I'm trying to get him to turn from certain behavior that's destructive and turn to behavior that's profitable. Okay? What happens to people that do not repent? Proverbs 29, 1 says, Reproved and does not respond shall suddenly be destroyed without rem- remedy. In other words, if this fictitious church member that's sitting in the bar and he goes there every day after work and you know, spends, you know, ruins his whole paycheck... Destruction's coming. Second Thessalonians two, ten through twelve. Pleasure, if you take pleasure in righteousness, there's under strong delusion, you're damned and you'll be perished. Is it wrong to say I don't want that for this particular brother? The answer is no. It's an act of love. What happens if we follow someone other than God? Matthew fifteen fourteen says, When the blind lead the blind, both shall fall into a ditch. That sounds like our current society, doesn't it? Amen? Second Peter 2, 1, False teachers bring damnable heresies and swift destruction. You know, that behavior, this particular woke 
philosophy has been tried in a dozen cultures and it's never worked once. Why is America the 13th going to be the magic one where it actually works? It won't. It's contrary to God and it just flat out doesn't work. Okay? What happens when the world calls us a hater? Did you know simply to disagree with someone now again, you're considered a hater? You haven't done anything. You watch things on television. And the ones that go for God, that hold God, chances are they're the ones that's cool, calm, and composed. And the one that's calling the Christian the hater, they got the wrinkled up, browed, burrowed frown, you know, just, just in, in a raid voice. You can hear the tenseness, the clenched fist, the, 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 the voice. Who's really the hater? Right? The intimidation. John fifteen eighteen says, If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. Acts five twenty nine. Peter and John answered, We ought to obey God rather than men. You know, you can do some name-calling, that's okay, but I'm more interested in what God thinks of me than what you think of me. And he's the one, ultimately, that I report to. So, in an act of love, I'm going to say, sorry, brother, I think you're wrong. And I think this behavior is going to destroy you. And um, I wish the best for you. you ever change your mind or you ever have questions, you come see me. But the last thing I'm doing is hating you. I'm loving you because the end of this behavior is certain destruction. One more. Are Christianity wokeness compatible? Can a person be Christian and woke at the same time? Okay. Now this is where you go, Brother Dolph, you're sounding like you're kind of rough. Well, in certain ways I am. But I'm not being it. I'm just the messenger. This is the word of God. 2 Corinthians 6.15, What concord hath Christ with Belial? What part hath a believer with an infidel? In other words, there's a certain way where people can't coexist, right? And someone denies why Jesus came, what he accomplished, and what he's interceding for us on the right hand of God right now, denying all that, can we really say, oh, welcome and become a Christian with us? And the answer, we can't. That's the definition of who Christ is. But at the same time, I looked at Jesus Christ and he got himself in a lot of trouble with religious folk. Because you know what he did? He ate with quote-unquote sinners, Right? He was sitting at tables eating with prostitutes, tax collectors, thieves. He was being kind to them. He was talking with them. He was interacting with them. He didn't bend his theology, but he was still showing love to them. So there is a way where we do it. And then finally, James 4.4, Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is an enemy of God. Whoa, Brother Dove, you're drawing some lines now. Well, in a way I am. I'm not talking about your outreach, but I'm talking about your mind. I'm talking about your, your thinking. Amen? Okay, so let's go back to the beginning again. I asked you a question. Can Christianity and wokeness coexist? And I started off with an example, and I used the example of pornography. 
Can pornography and marriage coexist? And I answered, absolutely not. With pornography doing, it's, it's what it's doing, it's counterfeiting some behaviors that create certain results. It's shortcutting, it's circumventing things to get you to an end, and that end is very destructive. Same thing with, with God. Wokeness is what it's doing. It sounds biblical. It used biblical terms. But it's circumventing everything that Christ came for, what he came for, how he came, why he came, what he accomplished when he came. It's undermining all of that, and in the end, it's some very destructive behavior. So, my answer is, can they coexist? The answer is absolutely not. This has been three messages. This will be the end of this series. I pray that if you have questions, you come talk. You'll ask me questions. It's a serious matter. You're going to be put in some situations that you're going to pull your hair out. I don't know how to respond to this. That's okay. You're not Christ. I'm not Christ. You know, just, there's, there's safety in a multitude of counselors. Come, come, come ask. We'll talk about it. We'll figure out how to interact. The last thing I want to do is, is, is to turn a person away from Christ, but at the same time, when they refuse Christ and they expect me to turn, that's when I start digging in. Amen? May the Lord bless you. This was a heavy subject. I pray that the Lord put something very joyful on my heart next Sunday. Amen. <laughs>